Welcome back to the podcast and welcome to all the new listeners who might have joined in for the first time. I assume this will invite a lot of new people to listen to the podcast for the first time. Um, given that this is one of the first episodes the podcast is broadcasted in English. Um, so just a bit short about what this podcast is. You may have noticed from clicking on it by the title that this is a podcast about UX. It's also a podcast just about um, all things design. And the premise of the podcast is in it uh, is in the name of the podcast. So who is it for? The podcast looks at this age-old question: what makes good design and what makes bad design? And who is it for? And so thinking about who do you design for and and why do you design it this way and there are a lot of topics within design that um, this podcast covers recent episodes we have covered everything from mobile apps design to graphical design to nudge design to architectural design so uh, the podcast is very broad um, and i very much would like to expand the knowledge about the value that design can offer in everyday life and how important it is for everyday life as well. And my name is Marcus. I'm your host for these podcasts and I hope you will stay tuned and listening because in this episode of um, Who Is It For? I'm joined by Alexa, who is a product designer in the San Francisco Bay Area um, in the United States in California. And she joined me to uh, discussion and talk about UX and product design portfolios and why are these important and what are the cultural differences between the United States and Denmark in how we perceive um, a UXer and a product designer and or how do we in Denmark and how do uh, Alexa and her peers in the United States and San Francisco see the importance of UX and product design portfolios. So this is um, a topic that Alexa knows a lot about. Alexa is is a product designer in San Francisco and she works at Sendesk. But besides that, she also has a, a stunning YouTube channel uh, called Hello, I'm Alexa where she covers um, her everyday life as a product designer, but also covers um, a bit more hardcore topics uh, about UX and product design. So if you're interested, I would highly recommend you go watch some of her videos because they are very um, inspirational, full of uh, great information about what it's like to be um, a product designer in the tech industry. So with that said, I would just jump into the last part I would like to say before we jump into the episode and that is my pledge to you if you like the episode and if you like what I'm doing please help me and please rate the podcast because there is no fancy algorithm um, on podcasts that helps me um, expand to new listeners and draw them in so if you like what you hear the best way for you for you to help me is by sharing or with word of mouth is so powerful. So, or if you're feeling very generous, I would very much appreciate if you 
give the podcast a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot to get the podcast up the rankings. So without further ado, um, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alexa as much as I did. Enjoy. So today I'm joined by Alexa and... Before we move any further, you need to help me with your last name so I don't butcher it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so my last name is Harazinchuk, or at least that's how I pronounce it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. And today we're going to talk about the importance of UX and product design portfolios and why they are so important or maybe that important. And Alexa is actually the perfect person to talk to this uh to talk to about this topic because uh, she works as a UX or as a product designer at um, Centisk in the San Francisco Bay Area. And besides that, Alexa actually makes a lot of videos on YouTube about UX and product design where that was where I found you and your videos piqued my interest a lot. So I, uh, I'm i so happy that we can make this work and you could come on the podcast and, and discuss and talk to me about portfolios and why they are important. Yeah, thank you so much, Marcus. I'm really excited for our conversation. And just a brief notice to maybe all the new listeners that might have joined in for the first time. This is a design podcast where we talk about, yeah, all things design. And the premise is to look at who is it for, like what, who's the design for, hence the name of the podcast. But just before we get started, Alexa, will you just like briefly tell me about what you do at Centesk uh, as a UX or you call it a product designer, right? Yeah, yep. We can go into that later if you... Yeah. <laughs> so I've been at Zendesk for about two years. Uh, like Marcus said, I work there as a product designer. I work on our billing team. Actually, uh, before I jump into my the specifics of my job, um, a little bit more about Zendesk. Zen- at Zendesk, we build uh, software for the best customer experiences. And so uh, this comes in the form of uh, many different online channels that we help businesses, uh, we, we provide for businesses so they connect, can connect to their customers. Uh, so this comes in the form of like a ticketing software or a live chat software or call center software. We have analytics tools. So any sort of uh, channel that businesses can use to connect with their customers, we build that software. And then my role specifically is on the billing team. So just like we're building software for the best customer experiences for our businesses, um, we like to think of, uh, I like to at least think of the same thing with my job on billing and we wanna be creating the best buying experience for our customers. And so I'm mostly focused on our self-service shopping cart. So this is people who can, uh, who want to buy Zendesk online. Uh, and can do so through self-service needs. Uh, But I also work on products for our sales-assisted customers who are managed by our sales team, and there are different features and functionalities that come with either uh, type of management uh, post-purchase. Okay, very in-depth and very, very interesting from my point of view as as well. Um, So what does, just in brief terms, because um, I... For people who haven't watched your videos about what a day in a UX's life looks like, what what would you how do you would you describe it? Yeah, so it's tough to just talk about one day because I think mm. every day is different. So it was really interesting trying to film that video. Which, uh, fun fact, I did not film all in one day. I filmed over a couple of days because I really wanted to get it right. I really wanted to try to provide 
um, some insights for people watching that video as to what a day a day could be like, which has so much variance. Um, so, I mean, sometimes I'll hit, I'll uh, start my day at home and I'll do a call from home because our uh, Zendesk is a global company, and so we have people calling in all over the world. Um, typically, morning calls are with people in Europe, just like Marcus, just like we're doing right now. Um, so, you know, maybe my day starts at home, um, doing some work at home. But I'll, I'll head into the office. I like to um, start my day by just like checking emails and getting caught up, figuring out what is important that I need to work on for the day so that I can scope out ahead of time, uh, like a chunk of focus time. So I can, if I need to do heads down design work or I need to uh, go through research and uh, create some analysis, whatever it is, I've set myself up in the morning to do that later on. Um, and then also there are just some days that are really meeting heavy. A lot of the job is collaborative and meeting with many different people all over the company to do the job. And so, uh, for example, my Mondays are really meeting heavy because I like to pu push everything to the beginning of the week so I know uh, exactly the information that I need to know, again, to do that design work during the week and I can just focus. So, uh, yeah, just trying to explain what happens in one day is just, there, there's no way. Every day is different. And that's also partially why I like this job so much because I like having differences. I like that, um, I like that my, my day is different every, every day of the week. That leads a bit into the next part of the conversation where we can just briefly like maybe distinguish between what a UX designer, as we in Denmark call it, <laughs> that you are, uh, or what a product designer might be because we you we don't we, we use them for different things in Denmark um, and product designer isn't that used of a, uh, that used term in 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 our field. Um, UX designer is 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 mainly what you describe yourself as being here in Denmark. Yeah, sure. So I think I think the truth is they are probably the same thing. In San Francisco, <laughs> we've decided to use the term product design. Um, I have a theory about it, and I did talk about this in one of my videos that I made quite a while now, like I think about a year ago, and I still stand by this. Um, I think what happened was uh, some of the like big tech companies out here, this like Facebook, for example, um, they who are, who are like especially a couple of years ago, they're very very influential in many ways in. Um, in like the tech scene out here, uh, I think that they changed their, I, th I think that they started calling their designers product designers, probably because I think they probably thought it was more encompassing of what the job is. So uh, as product designers, we're also very much product thinkers and strategists. And we work very collaboratively with uh, product managers who are also doing that type of work. And so um, you know, maybe Facebook and some of these other big tech companies started calling their designers product designers because they thought it was more encompassing. Mm -hmm. And then that just spread like wildfire. And so, you know, there's a lot of tech companies out here in San Francisco and a lot of technology is built here. And maybe a lot of like terminology is used here that eventually bleeds out into the rest of the country and then maybe to the rest of the world. Um, but we've been using that term for quite a while. And I think maybe slowly but surely it, this term might be used more widely across the state and across other countries too. But for the most part, I think the short answer is it's probably much in the same. Um, I do uh, I do think there are probably nuances to it as well in that maybe someone who identifies as a UX designer could still very much have um, a more focused 
like specific role in the design or the d- design and development process, and that maybe they're focusing more on um, the initial stages of ideation, brainstorming, and like understanding human behavior. As as we're developing a product, they may focus on that beginning the beginning stages and not necessarily flesh out. Uh, like the UI, for example. However, Mm. as as a product designer, I do do both of those roles. And so if there is a difference, uh, if there, you know, if there is a difference, which there there certainly will be uh, out there, I'm sure, um, it may be that, that as a product designer, I do very much think of myself as a generalist. And I'm working through the whole product design process all the way from the beginning stages of ideation and brainstorming all the way to um, designing the final product that will hand off to engineering and work with them to make sure it's implemented correctly. Okay, interesting. But um, here in Denmark, we have like, and I think it might be used in San Francisco as well, um, but but the UX term here in Denmark is very like an umbrella term for like almost everything and product design is one of them and then you have uh, the research and the analyst and and the graphic designers also sometimes fall into this category and sometimes also front-end developers and 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 stuff like that so the ux term in in denmark is a very broad term and and if and if you're a ux designer you're it, you have to read the, the job description very closely if you want to know exactly what a person does and, and what the company is looking for you to do. Sometimes they are they are looking for a front-end developer and they call it a UX designer or they're looking for, for someone who is, who is more just a researcher um, or, or someone who maybe actually can, I don't know, just hardcore graphic design, very creative and very like hands-on. So it's it's very very broad, and um, I talked on this um, um, just lately on the podcast where I discussed with another guest where we where we talked about why we have this very broad understanding of UX, and and the companies then in Denmark don't seem to <laughs> care that much about how they use it or how they don't use it, uh, or maybe it's the the universities in Denmark that teach one way of thinking about UX and product design and they don't want to apply that to the real life. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that could be really confusing. Mm. I think it's I think what you said is really important. You really have to read that job description and then <laughs> once you have connected with a recruiter or a design hiring manager, you really got to ask them a lot of questions. Like what are they really looking for you to do? Mm. If you want to do the whole like what I guess what I um, what I would be interested in is is being that generalist, someone who sees um, the the projects all the way through. Um, do you want to make sure you clarify that? Because if it is just that research role, um, which is a very important job, uh, then you just want to make sure that you know that that's what they're asking for. Because you, if you are a product designer, you probably have UX research skills. Uh, but I, you know, I would argue that UX research is also, um, I mean, that's that's a significant role and has very different responsibilities. And so you just want to make sure you go into that knowing that you have the right expectation. Yeah, for sure. And and my observation here in Denmark is that some companies, or I think a lot of companies, don't exactly know how to like treat this term UX yet. And they use it interchangeably with like just calling someone a designer, which is maybe someone they think of as more of a creative uh, hands-on person and not the research type person 
Um, so, and I see a big problem with how you use the terms and that's, yeah, <laughs> that's unfortunate sometimes because people, um, um, they, they want something different and then they get a bad experience of what a UX is. <laughs> so. mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But what we were about to talk about or what I wanted to lead into was like, why do you, uh, why is like uh, portfolios um, so important for, for UXer and for creative people, do you think? Yeah, I think portfolios are super important. It's, uh, it's actually pretty great. I think portfolios are awesome because it's one of the most objective ways that we can evaluate someone's work to see if they're the right person for the job versus like a resume, which just has to sort of be interpreted. So I think it's great. Like you get to show off your work as a means for, um, you know, try uh, as a means for uh, highlighting your strengths and what you do as a designer. So portfolios are going to be the first step into getting like a phone call with a company. So you really want to really want to make sure that you focus a lot of your time when you're trying to get a job on getting that right. That lead me into the next question because then what is a portfolio? Because that depends on that might be depending on what type of job you're looking for or what type of UX designer you are, product designer you are, right? Or yeah. Yeah, yeah. Again, it comes back to like what you're interested in, right? Like if you want to be a product designer, as I define it, mm -hmm. um, in this like generalist role, that means your portfolio needs to show off final designed work. Um, if your role as a UX designer or however your whatever your um, title you're looking for, uh, if the final designs to you are wireframes or maybe it's research, then your portfolio is going to look a little bit different. And so I think it's just, again, being really intentional in design. You want to like be designing your design portfolio with the people who are going to be using it in mind and make sure that every decision you've made uh, in crafting it and putting it together has been made because of like where you want it to lead you. Mm. And there's a lot of emphasis on this portfolio in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, right? Yeah, I definitely, I would definitely say so. Is that the, like the main way people hire? Is that via portfolios and stuff? Yeah. 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 Again, it's the most objective way we can look at someone's work and see if they're the right person for the job. Of course, that their work is just one aspect of it. You're going to need to be collaborating with different people within the company, and so that's when um, interviewing and and showing off your personality, like just being who who you are and expressing to the team, like what like some of those aspects of, of you in an actual interview is also going to be important. But the first step into getting that call, into getting those interviews is going to be your portfolio. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because yeah, um, as I told you before we started this podcast is that portfolios in Denmark doesn't have, have that like importance that I assume it has in, in the San Francisco Bay area. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, we um, there is some companies uh, in the job descriptions or um, job posting that where where they list please attach a portfolio, but it's not recommended, and that's usually 
like the wording in all job listings and and sometimes it's not even mentioned um, but if you have one and you mention in it your and, and you mention your portfolio in your application it's not even um certain that that the job recruiter will look at it because they don't have that much time to go through your applications and sometimes it's almost like an automatic system they go through uh, with these applications. Um, if you are applying for more, what should we say, um, creatively um, heavy jobs where like almost a graphic designer or something in that area, um, they, they rely pretty much uh, on, on more um, uh, portfolio work as well. Um, but in um, UX, area in Denmark, it's not that evident yet. Uh, there are people that make their own portfolio to show off what they've done, but it's not, it's a big plus for sure. If uh, when you're uh, recruiting or when you're trying to get a new job that you have a portfolio uh, for sure, but um, I don't see it as a requirement to. Um, that's so interesting. How, uh, what is it like then for new desi- new designers who are trying to get their first job? It's hard. Uh, I've been I've been looking for a job of, for quite a while. That should be no secret. Um, so 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 so, uh, and it's been hard. I I've tried several different types of let's say uh, creative portfolios, and um, it's no secret that this podcast is my way as well to to show what I can do as well because I thought. How can I show um, people um, that I'm good at UX design when it's not always visual and it's not always something that um, it's hard to show a process sometimes when you don't maybe document it as um, all the time. So so I thought maybe I can talk about it with people and we can discuss the process, we can discuss different types of um, UX terms and design problems and stuff like that, and maybe people can hear how, <laughs> let's say, smart I am. <laughs> um, oh, nice. Yeah. Well, hey, I think this podcast for you is sort of like a portfolio piece. I have a YouTube channel. I sort of think of that like a yeah. portfolio piece. Like this is me putting my work, putting myself out there, and putting some work up online. Um, you know, if if portfolios aren't something that that are like the norm for. For your like in Europe or maybe in um, you're in Copenhagen, right? Yeah. Um, maybe like Copenhagen specifically. I still think that putting your work together like that is valuable for you and just like helping to better understand what you've put together. And I think um, you can always ask, like you know, maybe you don't have to submit it when you're first initially submitting an application, but if you've had it prepared and then you get in to a job and they're trying to assess you for this role as uh, like a creator, mm. then if you've made it, then you have something you can show for, even if they don't ask for it. I think that shows that you're prepared and that um, if you've put some work together that, that you can show for, like that's gonna make you stand out. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Um, but it's always, it's it's so much different from all other types of jobs where you don't need a portfolio per se, so this, this just, I just always compare it to like, let's say um, a school teacher or something like that. They don't need a portfolio to to apply for a job. And it's, I just, for me, I I see it as um, 
it's sometimes an uphill battle when when you just come straight out of university and and you don't have any portfolio work you have maybe some school projects but and maybe an internship but but from there on um, people won't hire you because uh, you are lacking experience as well and maybe you you don't know how to make a portfolio because this is the first time looking for a job and what should a portfolio um, entail and and <laughs> so it can be very frustrating uh, at the beginning and and know what is the right thing to put in a portfolio so that leads me to my next question what is the right thing to put in a portfolio or the wrong thing yeah great question i think if you're looking to be a product designer again um some things you may not want to include are like logo design or print design or artwork like really like I mean, sure, you could include that in some area of your website, like maybe on a different tab, but your homepage should show off work that's relevant to the job you're trying to get. So if you want to be a product designer, which is basically designing uh, products and services, then you want to show work that's of designed products or services. You don't want, to dis- uh, you don't want it to show um, marketing websites or, or, um, or things like that because you want to design like you want to design the products. Mm. So I think I think that's maybe also where there's like a little bit of nuance because you can apply UX design principles to marketing websites, but I think there's a difference between designing something that's um, that's marketing uh, facing, sort of like you kind of think of it as like the logged out view of a business uh, versus designing the logged in view, which I think is more of the actual product or service itself. And so... I think if you want to become, uh, if you want to be a graphic designer in today's day, you're going to have to include digital work in your portfolio, which you'll probably have to apply UX principles to. But that is separate than if you want to become a product designer where you're designing the work, you're designing the products and services that people are going to be using. Does that make sense? I think so. So, so, so you're saying you, you don't have to apply UX terminology or UX um, knowledge to your product design portfolio if you're just looking as a product designer? So let me try again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. This is like, I've just started to notice this a lot uh, more recently. So sometimes I'll, when I'm reviewing portfolios, I'll see on someone's website that they've included uh, websites to marketing designs, which is like mm. the website that a company would use to market their products. Okay. Right. So it's online, it's in digital form. And so therefore it's very likely we could be using UX design principles to come up with that design. Sure. Okay. However, I don't think that's a good project to use on your portfolio site. If you're looking to become a product designer, because the marketing website is still going to be a different is still going to be different than actually designing the product. So, for example, at Zendesk, we uh, we have a product that um, like the users that we're designing for are typically agents who are like on customer service teams or people in IT who are um, responding to tickets internally to help their um, employees. Uh, fix any of the technical issues that they have, stuff like that. So those are our users. Those are the people that we're designing this product for. Mm. The marketing website, So, and that's the product design team works on that. The marketing website is our www.zendesk.com website. Our graphic design or our, or our brand design team, that's what we call them, um, they're the ones who are working on that website. And so they're marketing the product to... Oh. 
typically an owner or some sort of high-level admin to buy Zendesk, and then it then it turns into the product. So if you want to be thinking of projects to put in your portfolio to become a product designer, I would focus in more on projects that are products or services themselves versus the marketing side of it. So let me just ask another question because uh, I have a lot of uh, classmates as well who also have been in the same situation I've been in where we don't have any portfolio work. So what what would what did you put in you, your portfolio when you applied for, for jobs at, for example, Sendex? Sure. I mean, so... Um, I worked at another tech company before working, working at Zendesk. I worked at a company called Yelp. Mm. It's, a, it's a review company. It's very popular out here in San Francisco or in the United States, maybe yeah. similar to like TripAdvisor out in Europe. Um, so all of the work in my portfolio that I was using to get a job after Yelp was my work from Yelp. Okay. <laughs> um, prior to that, I was in school. And so I was using school projects. So, so it, it was just school project all the way to, to Yelp. Correct. Yeah. And so uh, if we back up all the way to when I got my first product design job, um, I had only, I think, two product or, you know, UX design projects in my portfolio. And I remember uh, my school had this career fair that I went to, um, you know, sometime in like March, I think, of uh, my first year taking that program. And excuse me. And I didn't even have my work up online yet. Like I had, I had all of my work organized in sort of like a PDF, I think. Um, and so I went around to this career fair and like presented my work to these employers to try mm. to get that job. And these were both just school projects. I was like super, super excited and interested in this field. And I think that sh- uh, shined through a lot when I was explaining it, the work to them. Mm. But I think it's pretty known. Like if you haven't had a, a proper product design job yet, it's totally okay to use school projects or your own, like your own work, something that you've come up with itself. I think, um, I think like typically when someone's recruiting for like an entry level position versus a mid level versus a senior level, we, we make that distinction. And yeah. Okay. Uh, I would say, um, to be a bit harsh that that's way different in Denmark. Um, and people don't distinguish, between if you just came out of university and you don't have. Um, I, time and time again, get discarded because of lack of evidence and because insufficient um, portfolio work. And and that's for entry-level positions where they say, okay, you don't need to have more than zero to two years of experience. Okay, so they know that going in, but they don't, but it's, I've, I see the competition um, in the UX field in Denmark pretty hard. So, so the people that um, are getting the jobs are the people who, yeah, um, do the portfolio work uh, a bit better than than others, or just do portfolio work as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> a lot of it comes down to just like selling yourself and you're selling your work. Like you have to pitch yourself as the right person for the job, and so exactly. you have to really craft that story and communicate it to people, even if you're not like there yet, even if maybe mm. you don't believe it yet, you have to tell yourself that and you have to act like it because that's what's going to come off to other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And uh, it's um, for myself, it's been a learning curve all along. So I know <laughs> um, now I know, yeah, okay, I should do this and I should tell them this and not show them these projects. And this is probably a better one to show this person. Um, 
so yeah, you you get selective and and know what to show and what not to show um, along the way. Um, but just for uh, because it, it was pretty interesting to me that your background was um, as a graphic designer. That's right, right? Yes, that's correct. How did you come like into the field of UX, and how did you find that interesting? Yeah, so I studied graphic design in college. I went to a design school out here in San Francisco. Um, I was actually a transfer student, so I went to a public school for two years, also studying graphic design, and then I transferred out to uh, a school in San Francisco to go to a design school specifically. And at the time, I was actually considering there was a new program called Interaction Design. I was considering taking that program versus graphic design, but decided mm -hmm. to stick with graphic design. I didn't really know a lot of the nuance between the differences, but graphic design at the time still seemed like the right path for me. And so I did that. And then it was in my second semester at C uh, California College of the Arts, called CCA, um, at CCA that I was uh, taking this intro into interaction design course as a part of the graphic design curriculum. And uh, that was the first time I discovered UX design. And it was it was sort of <laughs> magical, to be honest. I, um, I had taken this intro into interaction design class was the last class that I took of the day. It was a night class. It was like 7 to 10 p.m. It was after taking three other three-hour-long studio cl classes. Wow. So, to, you know, you'd think you'd be exhausted by 7 p.m., yeah. uh, but I found myself to be the most energized out of all of my classes in this intro and interaction design class. And so I think it was in that moment that I knew, like, this is what I want to do. And so um, I think it was really great because I decided to stick with graphic design and graduate with that um, within that major, because I think there's a lot of graphic design related uh, skills and understandings of systems that have helped me become expert in certain areas areas of product design that I, I use a lot in my job, but I did decide to kind of work within this digital space. So I think, I think it's just maybe like, it's a nod at, like you can have a, a different background, you know, especially if you have a different background in a different area of design, like that's gonna still help you if you wanna transition transition into another area of design. And for me, that was product design. Mm. Yeah, that was my next question, but you almost answered, yeah. Um, do you use your graphic design skills in your daily work as a product designer? I say so. I think yeah. uh, one example is just um, I, I really enjoy the presentation and the communication aspect of the work. Mm. Again, like like I said, just like your portfolio, you're needing to constantly sort of sell your ideas and it, um, prove to people that like the things that you're uh, that you've built or you've designed is the right solution for us to move forward with. So you're constantly having to create like presentations and documentation to explain that. And so I think uh, my graphic design skills have helped me in like creating that. Uh, crafting that story and really com coming up with like different digital, um, sorry, different visual systems to, mm -hmm. to help, uh, visual, like communicate those ideas. Um, I don't specifically work on design systems, but I think someone with a graphic design background would probably have, um, a good chance at getting some of those jobs because a lot of graphic design, I think is understanding visual systems and, and, uh, like being able to, uh, to create, consistencies through using uh, things like color and typography, understanding grid systems. These are things that are very fundamental to graphic design that we also need to apply to digital. So that's another example. And then I think just in general, if you go to a design school, there's at least the one that I went to, 
um, there was a really heavy critique culture. And so just about every other class that I was in for like within my studio classes, we would have a full class critique. Oh, <laughs> your work up on the wall and having people provide you feedback with it. And this was constant. And wow. I think it was a really, really great experience, um, not only in just like professional design work, but like life experience. Being able to provide and take feedback is a life skill that everyone should be working on all the time. Uh, yeah, and I think that's one big distinction and, and difference, actually, because that's not something that we are taught per se. Um, you you get to notice it and you get to learn it um, sometimes the more hard way, um, maybe at your internship or or late on in your in your studies. But it's not something you're taught from early on. So so it's definitely something you have to um, learn suddenly <laughs> that. You, you need to take critique by others and, and give others critique as well. Um, but your first point by, by, uh, about like you need to convey and communicate your designs and your research and your uh, product uh, like development your process to others is, is like it's a super good one and it's a, a very very important uh, aspect of, of being a UX slash product designer, um, and that's I I think that's one um, aspect that most people who aren't in the field don't maybe know about and or don't understand that it's it's a collaborative effort and you work closely together with um, either developers or um, or business researchers or some something like that, uh, and you often have to like convey your um, your findings into easily consumable <laughs> insights, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I think something that is a, uh, one of the skills of someone, um, sorry, I think uh, one an important skill for designers to have is that we can really visualize the vision. Mm. And, and that also means being able to communicate that vision to different people on the team. So I may need to create that vision to a product manager that may also be need also may need to be visualized differently to an engineer. And so I think having a graphic design background has helped me be able to create those pieces of documentation needed to help provide that vision to whoever it is that I'm working with. Mm. Do you also do a lot of like wireframing and that's a really good question. I think <laughs> this is there's there's some nuance to this, okay? Okay. So hear me out. Um, when I think of, uh, times that I'm doing wireframing in my job now, I think of it very differently than how I was doing wireframing in my education. And I think of how people are doing wireframes still now as they're learning design. Mm. So I think a lot of people who are learning design right now are, uh, at least in some of these like boot camp programs that I'm familiar with and stuff. Um, a lot of it's targeted at like teaching people what the process is from the ground up. Like if they're going to start a new company, like fresh, like from scratch, um, so maybe some of these like traditional ways that we think about wireframes are, are useful. And the, maybe this is the same, same goes for people who do freelance and client work. You, you see like those wireframes where they like, they're all boxy and gray and like have like handwritten font in it. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's typically what I like when I hear wireframe, that's what I think of. Um, but I don't think that's the type of wireframes that I do anymore. Um, and a lot of it comes down to just like, what's important, like what's important to get the feedback that you need, um, and, and like get yourself, um, like move through the process faster. And yeah. so 
the wireframes that I like create now are like um, are really scrappy and like I think even a lot less higher fidelity almost than what I just described before. And that's because typically when I'm creating wireframes, I'm just trying to communicate very simply the idea of something Mm. um, to get feedback on like what the flow, what the flow should be. And that's because uh, as since I work at a big tech company and because my uh, design team has a design systems team who's creating a component library of all of our design patterns for both the engineering team and the product design team to consume, all of those components are already built for me and it's all drag and drop. So oh. it's almost easier for me to just um, like create to create those. I can just Build, I can build the designs through dragging and dropping these components into the software that I use, which is Sketch, a lot faster than it would be to like try to come up with those wireframes to build if I, as if I were building something from scratch. Mm. So there's a lot of nuance to this. Yeah. I, I think it would actually probably be, probably be worth it to try to make a YouTube video about this because I don't think a lot of people understand no. how kind of people. complicated yeah or less complicated it is now yeah because because people usually like use it interchangeably be, between like prototyping and wireframing as well um, yeah yeah it's almost like to come up with those wireframes would be uh, more time for me and oh. so when so if I was going to create a wireframe, it's going to be for something really specific that I'm getting feedback on. And so I try to create that thing really fast. So almost like you can almost get a lot of feedback just from a sketch, like sketching something out, uh, is like one of the fastest ways to show someone and visualize an idea, get the thoughts in your head onto paper. And so you can get a lot of feedback just from that. If we're talking about moving it into the digital form and like needing to get feedback on it in that way, it just, it becomes a whole other conversation. Yeah. And I wouldn't call it wireframing when you move it into that, because for me, I see wireframing in, in the early processes of a UX process where where you need to get validation on on different types of of the design as you you mentioned, and then after you get validation on on those design, you move on to um, maybe rough prototyping, and then you can maybe do some some further wireframing on different types of elements on those prototypes as well. But yeah. Every process is different, and it depends on which type of product you work on and or service. So, so, so I can see. Uh, or even just how, or even just how big your company is. Exactly, and 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 how how like pushed you are for for time and and what your deadlines are, and can you make high fidelity prototypes or or is it lo-fi all the way? Yeah, it all it all comes down to being intentional about what you're making in order to get the feedback that you need. Yeah, at the you, time that you need it. Exactly. Yeah. My mantra is always isolate your problem and isolate what you want to like um, get um, feedback on and, and don't prototype a wireframe um, more than one like a problem or something you, you, you want feedback on because otherwise people are going to um give you feedback in all directions and and it's not useful for you so you then just make even more prototypes and and it's going to be even um you're going to you're going to spend a, a, a lot less time if you just uh, do it like that is my opinion <laughs> so just this last segment i just want to like wrap up just maybe some small short tips on um, what we talked about earlier about portfolios and what uh, in your mind is like 
the best way to, let's say, um, create a portfolio for, for a product designer? What would your top two tips or three tips be that sh- someone could should keep in mind? Sure. Yeah. So when I'm reviewing portfolios, the very first thing I look for in a project page is the problem statement. Okay. If you if you don't have a problem statement written properly, uh, it's going to really affect my interpretation of the project. Mm. I think problem statements that are more specific and more detailed are also going to be a lot more um, are, are going to be a lot stronger. I've seen problem statements that are really broad about like the problem is we need to <laughs> the problem is we need to redesign. It's like, well, <laughs> okay, that's going to be a hard sell. But if you can really focus in on one specific area of like a problem, it's going to help communicate that uh, to the person who's reviewing it a lot faster. So that's the number one thing. I don't think people spend enough time really refining their problem statements. Um, and then the second thing is uh, I would recommend that people move the solution again if we're th- talking about product designers who are like mm-hmm. generalists um who have created that final designed work i would recommend that they move the final designs from the bottom of their website of their project page all the way to the top and i say that because i think that um the purpose of your online portfolio is to tell the short story of you and your work. And when people are reviewing portfolios, they don't spend a lot of time on them because they're often reviewing a lot of them. And they don't have a lot of mental capacity to really like dive deep into your one project um, in the way that y- you would want them to. It's just, it's unrealistic to expect that they'll do that. So therefore you need to get them excited about you and your work. And you need to do that, do so by telling them the short story. And one way you can do that is through focusing on the problem statement, getting like some of those important details about the problem, the goal, the type of project this is, getting those details right all the way at the top of the project and then showing them that solution so they can connect the problem to what you've created. Only then, when you've gotten them excited and understanding that you've created something that has actually solved this problem, only then will they start to look into the research and into the like other types of work that you've done in order to come up with that solution. And so... That's like, that's my number one. Um, I've also started talking about this a lot more and I'm actually making a couple of YouTube videos about this idea as well as we speak, um, is that I think there's a difference between your online portfolio and what I'm calling your offline portfolio. Again, I'll reiterate online portfolio. It's there. The purpose is to tell the short story of you and your work, your offline one is to tell the long story about you and your work. And I call it offline because it's not something that you necessarily need to have be public and accessible to people online. However, um, the way I'm, I, I see it is this offline portfolio comes in the form of like a PDF or a mm. keynote or Google Slides. And you know, Google Slides is technically online, but um, yeah. it, it's not, not, not necessarily something that you need to publicly have on your website. And so I would recommend that people simultaneously work on both of these portfolios because that offline one is the, is the portfolio you need to present to someone once you've gotten an interview. Because all, once they've invested in you as someone who's like potentially good to do this job, now you want to make sure that you give them all those details, you walk them through your process, you're super intentional about it, which, and also, by the way, you want to um, include some slides. This is basically a presentation, right? You want to yeah. include some slides at the beginning about yourself. You got to tell a story about you because it's important to communicate to them what makes you different and what makes you like the right person for this job too. It's not just about your work. It's about you as well. So you, you want to create that presentation so that when you get into that interview, you have it ready. 
and you have really thoroughly thought through what that story is. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It, it really does. Um, I'm just thinking uh, because in my own situation, I sometimes have it hard describing my projects because they are maybe very um, research and ideation heavy. So it's hard because they aren't maybe that visual. So what would you say to a person who says that I can't like make it short because I it, there's so much research gone into this and the problem is so complex and the solution was also um, very long. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's maybe sort of an excuse. Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I would challenge you or whoever like has that problem to really work on simplifying it down and really put yourself in the shoes of the person who's reviewing your portfolio. Again, they'll have had, they will have had to go th gone through so many of these, mm -hmm. and so you want to capture their attention and get them excited about about you and your work. That's the goal. So do whatever like do whatever is possible to to make that happen. Um, if you're if you want to become a product designer and you don't have those visual skills yet, then you should probably work on them because uh, part of the job is to design those final designs that will go out and become the products that people are going to use in their everyday lives. And so um, you're going to have to have final designed work to present to, uh, to present um, to show for, right? Mm. Um, however, like I said, we talked about at the beginning. There's some nuance to titles. If you're t uh, if you're a UX designer or an interaction designer, and to you, um, from your understanding, the the final designed work is the wireframes, or you know maybe it's um, some sort of like charts and graphs or or flows that you've designed. Yeah. If that's the design the final designed work, then great. Then you put that at the top of uh, of the project page and communicate that 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 this is the final deliverable. So, I don't know. Does what what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, 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 for sure. I get that it should be brief and short. Uh, I just, um, I just also run into people uh, as myself where maybe um, the project we worked on aren't that like uh, visually come, com like um, uh, it's not so easy to visualize them. Uh, maybe you can make some short wireframes, but but maybe it's easier if you can describe them or you have some data you can you can show. Uh, but it's that sometimes. The hard part of uh, of making the portfolio, I see. Mm -hmm. Wh which part? The um, like visualizing it and and also determining what's important and what's not. <laughs> and hey, like that's the challenge of it. Sure, it may not be easy, but that's the thing you got to take on and really embrace and get excited about because that's what's going to help you land that job. Alexa, thank you so much for all those great tips and also for your insight into what it's like to be a product designer in the Bay Area. That was very insightful. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, and thank you so much. This was such an interesting conversation. Yeah.